Hi, this is Amanda. And this is Lindsay. We're True Creeps. Where the stories are true. And the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore. To the possibly plausible paranormal. To horrifying history. To tense and terrible true crime. And everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving and is ready for Black Friday. Yeah, this is coming out at 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then it's midnight where Amanda is. Mm -hmm. And then what, 11 in California? Yeah, so people are probably already shopping, I think. So we could be the soundtrack to your voyages between places. Yes, we can and we will. Or to your frantic clicking. Or to your frantic clicking. Refresh, refresh. Refresh, refresh. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, we are actually doing a show around Black Friday because there's a lot of weird stuff and horrible things that have happened on Black Fridays. Yeah, there really is. I also didn't really know as much about the origin of Black Friday as I thought I did. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I knew a little bit only because I've worked retail before. But before that, I had no idea. I didn't even know it was a thing. Well, I knew it was a thing. We'll get to it. But like when you've worked it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're a different person. You're a different human being after. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So what exactly is Black Friday? So Black Friday is the day after Thanksgiving. It is thought to be the day that kicks off the holiday shopping season. I think it's actually November 1st, really. November 1st, yeah. But you know what? This year, I feel like it started in October. I was going to stores to buy Halloween stuff, and Halloween was already gone, and there was Christmas stuff already. Unacceptable. And it was like the first week in October. I See, I didn't see any of that. Everywhere I went, it was like Halloween until Halloween was done. And then November 1st, it was like, here comes Mariah. Who's Halloween? Yeah. Who is she? No, it was bad here. It was like, I just want a couple more Halloween items, and it was impossible. That's because people in Arizona are so desperate for winter and a reprieve from just the scorching heat that they're like, is it a temperate temperature yet? Right. Is it a mere 80 degrees so I can wear 16 layers of clothing? I can't look at Amanda as I say it. Yeah, I mean, it was 80-something degrees today, and clearly I'm wearing 16 layers. Yeah, she has a hat on, earmuffs. Not only does she have elbow-length evening gloves, she also has mittens. Yeah, on top of the evening gloves. And the mittens have cat ears. You know, it works, though, because, like, in your head, I think it was, like, end of August this year that they put pumpkin spice coffee out. Mm -hmm. And I was like, look, it's fall, guys, as it's, like, 120 degrees. (laughs) I mean... My birthday is on August 26th. The day after my birthday, summer is done. It is fall. And I am not entertaining anything else. I think that's fair. It's a state of mind now, really, especially in Arizona when you don't have seasons. (laughs) (laughs) So on Black Friday, there's a bunch of sales and people are not on their best behavior. I didn't know this. This part I learned. 30% of all retail sales occur from Black Friday through Christmas. That's a lot of sales. That's a lot. Yeah. And of course, Black Friday kicks it all off. And speaking of sales, Public has a Black Friday sale. So if you were looking for an excuse to buy your True Creeps tea, now is the time. Do it. Yeah, there's some neat designs. And we even have our little ghosty designs that I am obsessed with. Yeah, I am pumped about them. 
But anywho, let's talk about Black Friday history. So the earliest use of the phrase Black Friday was in 1869, and it had nothing to do with shopping. It was the day that there was a market crash that affected the U.S. economy for years, and it was because gold prices had plummeted. Then sometime between 1950 and 1960, traffic cops from Philadelphia started referring to Black Friday as we know it now, and they were using that phrase to describe how crowded the downtown retail stores would be because it was like gridlock traffic and it was just a nightmare. One of the first instances of Black Friday in print was an advertisement for a stamp collecting magazine. I was like, how specific? And that magazine also credited the name to Philly traffic cops. Joseph Barrett discussed how he helped coin the term in a 1994 article for the Philadelphia Inquirer. And he said, in 1959, the old evening bulletin assigned me to police administration, working at a city hall. Nathan Kleger was the police reporter who covered the center for the bulletin. In the early 1960s, Kleger and I put together a front page story for Thanksgiving and we appropriated the police term Black Friday to describe the terrible traffic conditions. Okay. So it stemmed from bad traffic and stamp collecting. Yes, but also here's another alternative. So lots of employees called in sick the day after Thanksgiving. And in a 1951 issue of Factory Management and Maintenance, which doesn't that sound like a riveting read? Mm -hmm. They had an article titled Tips to Good Human Relations for Factory Executives. Um, I just feel like they probably weren't great in 1951. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like they probably needed a lot of them. But so they said Friday after Thanksgiving-itis is a disease second only to the bubonic plague and its effect. And what was the bubonic plague called? Black death. So then back to what they said. At least that's the feeling of those who have to get production out when the Black Friday comes along. The shop may be half empty, but every absentee was sick and can prove it. And so I thought that was like another interesting way of describing it. I doubt it's from that, though. So as early as the 1960s, ad agencies tried to spin the public perception of Black Friday because it was kind of thought of as this giant inconvenience, right? Police were like, ugh, we have to deal with this. We don't want to. And so they started to try to change the name to Big Friday, which is not exciting and it didn't catch on. And most people think that Black Friday is called that because retailers are in the black. And that's partially because starting in the 1980s, retailers started to really push that narrative so that people had like a pleasant thinking of Black Friday and like, oh, this is good for the economy and that kind of thing. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what when I worked retail, that's what they discussed, too. They're like, we're in the black for Black Friday. We're actually losing money for Black Friday. And then they would try to spout things to us like people are going to buy the big ticket item on Black Friday, but they're going to return throughout the whole holiday season to get all the accessories for it, where accessories are marked up higher. Hmm. So that's where we'll make our money back. And that's what you need to sell. So a couple Black Friday stats, and I feel like in the back of my head, I knew some of this, but then I did learn a lot too. So per Black Friday death count, there have been 14 deaths and 117 injuries on Black Friday. I thought it would be more. I did too. And I I can't imagine all of them are reported because I'll even tell a story about one that was not reported. So in 2019, there were 84.2 million shoppers in store and 93.2 million that shopped online. It's a lot of people, right? 31% of shoppers prefer to shop in person, though, because of how exciting it is. We were talking about this before we started recording. There is something about the thrill of the hunt, 2 a.m., pumpkin pie, sugar rush, excitement about going to wherever for the sales. I don't personally line up. 
because I haven't been wanting to purchase something like a big ticket item yet. Right. But like maybe if there's a big sale on washers or dryers, Ben and I are going to be lining up. I don't know. But I feel like for a lot of people, it is like the adrenaline rush. Yeah, it's our Super Bowl. (laughs) (laughs) I love a good scavenger hunt. Like, I love Black Friday. I'm probably horrible for it. I love it. And then also, my favorite day of the year is called the Easter keg hunt in Phoenix. And so it kind of falls in line. And like, everyone always goes, hey, if you can find this for me. And I'm like, I will find it. I will go to 32 Best Buys. We will get it. I will tell you, knowing that Amanda has the propensity to find deals at all times, I have throughout the year been like, hey, if you happen to see, insert item. And like within three days, she's like, I found a deal. (laughs) You have to go to this Walmart near you to get it. Or here's a link. (laughs) Yeah, that's my superpower is finding items. It's a good one. But yeah, so I love scavenger hunts and I feel like Black Friday is just like a scavenger hunt on steroids for me. And then we always end the night with shame tacos. So it's wonderful. Anything that ends in tacos is 10 out of 10. Yeah. And by ending the night, I mean at like nine in the morning now. Breakfast tacos are not shameful. Tacos can be eaten at any meal in any variation. Yeah. So we have our own tradition now. But I do both, I think, because sometimes I'll find myself as, you know, whoever's driving, the other one's on the phone ordering things as well. So I double dip there. I'm not surprised by this at all. <laughs> so in 2020, shoppers spent $9 billion. That's just so much. It's the second largest online spending day. However, Cyber Monday of 2019 was 10 Point eight billion. So Cyber Monday is taking over a lot of this. In 2020, consumers spent 6.3 million per minute. I have no words. Just so much money. That's crazy. And yeah, and I mean, you think about it last year, I didn't go Black Friday shopping because, you know, pandemic and stuff. So a lot of people did transition to online and then they're like, oh, this is easier. But I do think that for like some, there is some stuff that's in store only though. There is. Yeah. But I think they're shying away from it because of pandemic. Because they want to keep people out. But I think with booster shots, I think by the end of this month. Okay, so I will say there are some companies that have come out and said, we are not going to open on Thanksgiving. I like that. Don't open on Thanksgiving. That's not necessary. I prefer old school Black Friday where it was like 4 or 5 a.m. I don't know. I guess I see it both ways. I don't want people to have to work, but I am better as a night owl. I'm not saying don't have your midnight opening. I'm saying don't open at 6 p.m. Yes, agreed. That's fine. Makes it slightly better. But have you noticed that this year, Black Friday is like every weekend? Yes. Like I'm constantly getting, start your Black Friday shopping. Black Friday ad starts tomorrow. And I'm like, wait a minute. What? Tomorrow's Black Friday. And even on Etsy, they're like, start your Christmas shopping now, 20% off. And I keep getting like, as an Etsy seller, I I see like, start your sale, start your sale, start your sale, like every day. And I'm like, okay, I got it. I got it. I got it. And we're, we're recording this at the beginning of November, but already many places have had Black Friday ads for just the weekend. And I know even already we're like, oh, that's one of the items on my son's Christmas list that's going to be half off. Now I have to go Black Friday shopping every Friday evening. Are you sad about it? I'm not sad about it, no. So (laughs) in-store shopping on Black Friday in 2019 fell 6.2%. And like I said, I'm assuming it's going to continue to fall because a lot of us now just hate seeing humans. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. And can you guess who the retail winner of 2019 was? Well, I can see it on our outline, so I'm not going to act like I don't know. But it's also completely unsurprising because everyone buys everything from them. 
So Amazon won as retail winner of 2019. By the way, though, they did do something very nice. So I know I told everyone my son wanted to be an Amazon Alexa for Halloween. He was the cutest Amazon Alexa there ever was. (laughs) I had posted his pictures and Amazon saw it and asked if they could send him a surprise. And we just got the boxes yesterday and they sent him Legos. And then also they must have like looked at my profile and saw that we got a puppy because they sent her gifts as well. I love that so much. It was so sweet. I was not expecting that. So interestingly, the average savings on Black Friday specials is only about 37%. In your head, you're like, it's 75% off. Most of it's not. It's the average though. But you know what though? Here's the thing. I think the average though, when you're looking at that discount, sure, there might be 100 TVs that are $500 off, but I'm sure there's like 3,000 units of candy that are 5% off. Right. And so like, because like the tinier discounts are going to be on smaller ancillary things where you're not going to be checking the price, you're like, okay, it's 95 cents instead of a dollar today. I don't really care either way. Right. Throw it in the car because we're getting stuff done. Yeah. And I was looking through some of the things too, and it said throughout the month though, the savings for November is actually between about 20 to 23% on some of the items. And then it spikes right after Thanksgiving and then the average is 37%. So a couple 2021 predictions that I found. The supply chain complications may be creating different types of shopping this year. Like I said already, sales already started earlier this month, and it seems like they're targeting more specific items rather than a huge range. So like their ads are a little bit smaller than usual. I was also going to say, do you know where they're not going to find supply chain issues if you're trying to get gifts for people? Small businesses. Small businesses. That's where we should shop. Yes. I love uh, Small Business Saturday. We always partake in that as well. We do something. We go to a small business for food and then we normally buy a Christmas gift or two from a small business. So if you're in Maryland, if you're familiar with White Marsh, the avenue at White Marsh, there's actually going to be a Small Business Saturday event with like local makers of sorts because there's a maker pop-up shop there too, but there's going to be like a whole outside annex, if you will, of different artists as well. That's cute. Yeah. In that area, there's a lot of chain retailers. So it's not like where you go to when you think small business, but there will be a little pocket of small businesses in White Marsh if you're around. I love it. I love, yeah, Maker's Mart. So we went to a Halloween one and they had all kinds of cute stuff. I even bought a new Ouija board. I know how you love Ouija boards. (laughs) Her Ouija board is stunning. I also just, you know, when you buy something from somebody who's local, yeah, it's a different vibe, right? You've made that person's day and then the person who you give the thing to is excited because it's not just something they would have found themselves. Yeah, yeah. I like to give a gift that someone doesn't even know that they would want because they didn't know it was a thing. That's my fave. Oh my gosh, yeah. And some of my favorite things that I've found have been from small businesses. Recently, I found something called Gentleman Bats. Tell me everything. And it's Victorian style bat portraits. This is the best thing I've ever heard in my life. Uh, Yeah, they are wonderful. And I bought a few when I was in Austin and they're hanging in my hallway right now. I love that. So a couple other 2021 predictions is online sales will continue to grow as in-store shopping continues to fall especially after last year due to the pandemic and the restrictions on how many people can gather in certain areas. So a lot of people learned to shop online a little bit more for things that normally would go into the store. 
I'm guessing and also hoping this will drop some of the injury and crime statistics from Black Friday because more people will be safe at home. My only thought when I was thinking of like people will be at home shopping online, something that's been growing in numbers is porch pirates and all the nonsense surrounding them. And I've seen already a few just this year altercations and injuries caused by people catching these porch pirates. I mean, fair though. Like I'm very happy. I mean, you know, we live in the compound where we're relatives but like we also have neighbors that have eyes on our house there's no one going in or out of my house or near my house without my neighbors knowing everyone get yourself a Lindsay neighbor they're 10 out of 10 best security money can buy for free (laughs) so just for black friday fun Lindsay, have you ever worked a black friday so my first retail job was at torrid and they had me start on black friday they're like, you want to you wanna see chaos? Here you go. They hired me in the beginning of November and had me start on Black Friday and were like, figure it out. And they didn't really put me on register. They had me like, basically, first off, helping people in the fitting rooms, which I was 10 out of 10. Loved it. I was just like, you're a goddess. You look gorgeous. Let me find you a new shirt. I would just go like, be like, look at this. But it was very intense and a very cramped space. And uh, 10 out of 10 would not recommend. <laughs> Black Friday, it's like a whole different world when you have a retail job. That day doesn't even count as a day. It's just like you stepped into another dimension for that day. And it moves at warp speed, too. Like, it's very fast paced. I've worked Black Friday a while until I finally was like, okay, no more retail. But my first Black Friday, I worked at Circuit City to date myself a little bit more. I had no idea what Black Friday was. I was like, why do I have to be here at 3.30 a.m.? What's this about? I was like, is this wrong? Am I am I closing? Is it 3.30 p.m.? How old were you? 17. Okay. So I had no idea. I also don't think Black Friday was as insane when we were teenagers. I just didn't know it existed because I always just slept in. I was like, oh, I'm off school? Cool. And then I started working and then I realized it was hell. But I worked in the uh, small electronics, so like iPods, music stuff, CDs, like things like that. I didn't know that today was different than any other day. And then, you know, I got seasoned in Black Friday. By seasoned, you mean war-torn? War-torn, yes. Thank you. Thank you for the correction. So then one year I worked in electronics with like cameras and computers and all of that. And our area got so cramped that a woman passed out on a display that I had worked so hard to make the day before. Like I came in, I think like Thanksgiving evening to make this beautiful display of SD cards and different memory things. (laughs) And she ruined it by passing out on it. (laughs) Amanda, ever the the caring human. (laughs) My display. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that was my last Black Friday. (laughs) I've done my time. I've done my time. But here's what I've learned is if you are Black Friday shopping today, respect the people working. Be very extra kind to them. If you waited in a two hour line, you chose that. They did not. Be nice. Also, if you're listening to this and it's not Black Friday, be a nice fucking human all the time to everyone around you. Well, yes. I mean, especially on Black Friday, but I feel like retail workers end up being verbal punching bags for a lot of people where we've all had a bad day. And it's like the 15th bad thing that happens is that like the person rang you up wrong or they were out of your shoe 
or whatever, but you still don't get to belittle or yell at retail workers. No, no, no. And especially holiday shopping season, they are working more. You're not getting paid any extra most of the time. Yeah. And they're dealing with mean people every day. Mm hmm. And unless you are dealing with a small business that is run by the person who you are talking to, whatever you're frustrated about, they don't have any control over. Yeah. So Black Friday, all of the energy is high. Everyone is acting crazy. We found a few horrific things that have happened on Black Friday that we want to talk about. So the first is the murder of Mark David Rubin. And this all happened in Norristown, New Jersey. In early November of 2008, Jeffrey Leinheister was on the phone with his girlfriend, Christina Rubin, when he heard her father screaming at her. She started to cry and Jeffrey allegedly said, that's not right. I wish I could kill him. And it's thought that that's when Christina and Jeffrey began plotting Mark's murder. It's a lot in a really small time frame. Yeah. And we'll get to it in a little bit that like, perhaps this wasn't the first time he had heard this. Yeah. But perhaps it was the first time. We're not really sure. And so on November 28th, which was Black Friday of that year, Jeffrey came over to Mark and Christina's apartment. And then Christina gave Jeffrey a loaded gun. Jeffrey walked over to Mark where he was sleeping in the living room and shot him in the head. He died after that single shot. And so they left the apartment. And it later came out that Christina actually paid Jeffrey $1,000 to kill her father. That doesn't seem like a lot of money to kill someone. It also feels strange because like, they're together like why so mark was 46 when he was murdered and christina and jeffrey left his body in the apartment for a week then they returned with a chainsaw and tried to cut up his remains oh my gosh they had considered stuffing his body in the garbage chute and they were on the ninth floor by the way but they decided what they were going to do was chop his body up rent a boat and then dump him in the atlantic they couldn't find someone to rent them a boat and they weren't able to chop up his body so they had to think of another plan his body had already started to decompose when they were trying to cut through him it was also more difficult than they had anticipated yeah it sounds like they didn't really think ahead at all Mm -hmm. And they tried to cut multiple parts of his body with the chainsaw, but they weren't able to like cut all the way through. So they rolled it up in a rug and then they duct taped it. Not suspicious at all. Not shady, no. Christina and Jeffrey then called their friend, Daniel Doherty, to help them get rid of the body because again, they were on the ninth floor. So they drug his body down nine flights of stairs and then put it into his own car. And then they left his body in the woods. Specifically, they left him in the Pine Barrens. So after his death, Christina routinely went to the ATM and pulled out $500 increments over and over from her father's account. And this is only mildly relevant, but it seems like Christina and her father were obsessed with mafia and mob lifestyles. Mark's license plate on his car was Mob Boss, and Christina was a vocal Sopranos fan. And she also, Amanda, did you have a MySpace? Who didn't have a MySpace? Who didn't? Did my own HTML coding, picked the song that was me. Well, for Christina, she called herself a mafia princess on her MySpace. And police also thought that they had been inspired by mafia style shows and movies when they were trying to figure out ways of disposing of Mark's body. And they're like, wait, this isn't easy. Yeah, it looks so easy on TV. Oh my goodness. And like, we're going to get to just how bad at being criminals they are. 
Yeah. It's very clear that they're looking at media and going, okay, it's easy. Yeah. So a hunter was in the woods and came across this rolled up rug that was duct taped shut. Again, not suspicious at all. Not shady at all. He thought it was odd. So he called the police and they came to cut the rug open. Then they found Mark. His body had been wrapped in plastic bags and then a bed sheet around that. His remains looked like they had been cut with a chainsaw as his left leg was partially severed and there were other deep lacerations on his body. So when they found the body, though, they didn't know who it was. So, of course, they had to try to figure it out. So police deduced that the cuts were made after decomposition had begun because of how little blood there was on the actual rug itself. Jeffrey and Christina called the Horsham police a day after the autopsy to report that there was a bullet hole in their hotel mattress. And that was at the Days Inn in Horsham. Is that something you call the police for? I'd just be like, this is a sketchy hotel. Maybe we shouldn't be here. I feel like I'd like call maybe the front office and be like, um, what happened in our room? Or I'd just leave. I'd be like, this is weird. I think if you would even notice, though, because like a bullet hole isn't very big. And why would they be looking at their mattress? Yeah. Because theoretically, there would be like covers on top of it. The covers and things. And that was my first question. Like, I wouldn't notice that either. Unless it was like, clearly, like it went through the sheets. Yeah. Like if there was like, I I guess, one on like the headboard, and maybe there was blood there or something, I'd be a little weirded out. Oh, God. But I feel like just one bullet hole, I wouldn't even first think bullet hole. Yeah, I think I would first think like cigarette burn. Yeah, yeah. Days in? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> days in. <laughs> Sorry, days in. <laughs> we stayed at a days in. My goodness. Can I tell you, uh, Ben does not like red roof ends. He's just like, mm-mm. Neither do I. No. You know their locations? No. That's where you get murdered. They're shady. Also, like, why do you want a red roof? All right. So police asked them if they had shot a gun in the room, like a normal person should. Like, you found a bullet hole. Was this you? Why would you call the police, though? I have no idea. And they said that they didn't, but that they did have a gun and a permit. It wasn't me, but yeah, we do have one. Police seized Christina's gun as well as a stun gun that they had in their possession. Police also collected the bullet fragments that were in the floor beneath the bed. Christina's gun permit was issued in November, so it was a recent purchase. Christina told law enforcement that her father had left town and that he was fired from his job. He was fired four days before he was murdered. That's sad. Yeah. Christina said that she was staying at the Days Inn while they waited for the fumigation of the apartment to be finished. At this point, police still hadn't identified Mark's remains, so his hands were sent to an FBI lab in Quantico, Virginia, to see if they could get fingerprints. Just the thought of that is really sad. Just the hands, yeah. Yeah. A couple days later, Jeffrey calls the police again to claim that he had been carjacked while driving in the city. He said that he had been driving his girlfriend's car at the time and that he was threatened with a gun. The vehicle was registered to Mark. Just a quick note. If you're a criminal, stop calling the police. Yeah, might help. Just stop calling the police. Like it feels like step one. So on January 8th, the FBI informs Atlantic County investigators that the remains are that of Mark Rubin. The county calls the local police to tell them. They searched for Mark's name in the National Crime Information Center's database, but he hadn't been reported missing. Jeffrey and Christina were both charged with first, second, and third degree murder, robbery, tampering with physical evidence, abuse of a corpse, possession of an instrument of a crime, 
theft, conspiracy, and lying to authorities. Fair. Also, just the charge of possession of an instrument of a crime, it feels like that should just be part of whatever other thing you're convicted of. You know what I mean? Because I feel like normally there's a reason why it's an instrument of a crime. You're like, there's another crime there. Yeah. That they will be charged for. I don't know. Yeah. So during the trial, the attorneys tried to have the pictures of Mark's body not shown to the jury because they were so gruesome. So sad. Yeah. Defense counsel argued that Mark was abusing Christina and that she feared for her life. Jeffrey was convicted of third degree murder and Christina was convicted of voluntary manslaughter. Woof. I've never seen any case where the perpetrators called the police so many times. Right. And especially at a hotel, if you don't report when it was found, they have really no way of figuring out when it happened until there's a reason to look further into it. Yeah. Did anyone ever report a weird noise? Did any of this happen? When they were cleaning the room, when did they find it? Could it have been the last people staying or was it five days ago that it happened? It's kind of hard to tell, I would imagine, right? I would also think, though, that like if the bullet went through and went into the floor, the person under them would have heard that, right? Yeah. Interesting and stupid. Yeah. It's almost as bad as Chad DeBall. It is almost as bad as Chad DeBall, the most skilled criminal mastermind. So the next case that we're going to talk about, I think is probably one of the most infamous Black Friday murder cases that we saw. And it's the murder of Ashley Harris. Yeah, I think this one just, I mean, the last one happened to happen on Black Friday. Mm -hmm. But this one, there's a reason it was going to happen on Black Friday. And there's other reasons around it. Exactly. So Ashley Harris was a 31 year old and she was described as the life of the party. She loved to have fun. She loved music and especially Bob Marley. Her friends described her as a giver and that she was always thinking about everyone else. And she called her coworkers her kids and she was thought of as the mother of the store where she worked. And she was the assistant manager of an American Eagle. And so she was well loved by most people in her life. So she got a job as an assistant manager at American Eagle at the mall in Fort Worth, Texas. And there were a few different assistant managers at that time, which if you're familiar with like mall retail, that's not surprising. There's typically multiple assistant managers, some of which have keys, some of them don't. But the other assistant managers were a woman named Yasmin and a 25-year-old woman named Carter Cervantes. In June of 2014, Christopher Carvey, the store manager, had to go out on medical leave. So Ashley was appointed to run the store. Another employee who's name was Lindsay Green, said that Carter saw Ashley as competition for future promotions, which we're going to keep that in mind as we go. Yeah, that's not worth what happens. Nothing is worth what happens. No. So there was a robbery of the store safe. On August 24th of 2014, $18,000 was stolen. Ashley was the one that discovered the money was missing when she came to open the store. So most of the time when you open a store, the duties include counting, making sure everything was okay from the night before. Did the closing people do everything they needed to? Carter Cervantes had closed the night before. Ashley showed Chris, the manager, the security footage the next morning. Footage was from 1.14 a.m. and you see a person walk directly into the area where the deposits were kept, unlock the deposit box, and take the deposit. Their head was covered and they never looked up, which indicated to them that they knew where the security camera was. Then they left the keys in the deposit box. Now, when they try to figure out whose key, the key belonged to the assistant manager named Yasmin. However, she didn't close the night before. So Carter admitted that she never locked the back door the night before. 
and also said something along the lines of, I don't know what the big deal is because insurance can cover this. If they weren't suspecting you before, they sure as hell are now. Right, right. So Ashley and Lindsay say that they thought it was David Mallory, which was Carter's boyfriend at the time. His actual name is Clarence, but he went by David. He was 19 and also worked at the American Eagle. Interestingly, he was hired by Carter. And he had previously worked at another American Eagle in Amarillo, but he was labeled in their internal system as non-rehirable, which means if you try to hire someone or pull up even their application normally in retail, it'll say this person cannot be hired normally by their social or their name. Later, though, when they found his file, so when he was looked at, they found that Carter had changed his social security number and his name in the system so she could make the hire go through. And I want to say she did this while Chris was on leave. So it was kind of hush hush. No one really knew. After Carter was suspended and she calmly handed her keys over and left the store. So Chris, then the store manager, called Carter a week later and fired her for leaving the store unsecure. She was mad and she asked for his boss's phone number. So Chris said that they probably knew that Ashley was the one that identified them too from the video. Then David disappeared. He was scheduled to work, but he never showed, which no call, no show. That also got him fired. Later, Chris learned that Yasmin had indeed left her keys unattended with Carter for about five minutes the day before. So they had a lot of things that pointed at these two, right? They also acted incredibly guilty. For sure. Right? Like they could have like, oh my gosh, I thought I locked the door. Right? Like you're already lying about stealing money. Why wouldn't you lie about locking the door? Right. Well, at this point, the case was being investigated by authorities. So those two no longer worked at the store. Authorities took over the case. They're investigating, doing their job. So let's fast forward a few months, because remember, this happened in August. And it's the morning after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, and there was a fire at Ashley's apartment. Ashley's apartment was part of a larger complex. So obviously, people heard the fire alarm and came out. And when they realized that it was Ashley's apartment that was on fire, they started calling more friends of hers. And it, it got to be about 40 or 50 people who were gathered outside. So when they got into the apartment, authorities found Ashley at the foot of her bed lying face down. Coworkers asked to speak with her and they were told by authorities that she was, quote, unavailable. They assumed that she was being taken care of because if there's a fire in your apartment, you're probably going to be injured in some way. But then the coroner pulled up and that's when they realized that she had died. So investigators saw that her arms and ankles were bound with duct tape and that she had fought back. She was severely beaten and choked before her throat was slit. Then her body was set on fires. Later, the investigators would also determine that her bed and closet were also set on fire. So at first, when they arrived, they were just thinking, fire, house fire, right? Apartment fire. And then as they're looking, they're like, oh, wait, this isn't just a fire. This is more than that. Exactly. So police gathered up all the people that were outside of the apartment. And this did not include her girlfriend, April Moffat, although she had talked to Ashley about coming over after work. But then she decided to go home instead, which like breaks my heart. Right. Because like she could have been hurt as well. So Alexis Torres was the last person to see Ashley. She and Ashley had gone to an early Thanksgiving dinner with friends at the complex around noon. Ashley had to work from 7 p.m. to 3 a.m. And Alexis offered to watch Ashley's dog, Nala, while she worked. 
So Alexis stopped by after Ashley got home for about an hour and then left before 5 a.m. At 6.56 a.m., she had a missed call from Ashley, but when she tried to return the call, there was no answer. So authorities were talking to all the people trying to gather what happened. They also talked to some of her neighbors, and one was named Stephen Lee. He was an ex-cop, and he remembers a vehicle outside that he didn't recognize around 6.30 in the morning that morning. He said that it was an older black Infinity sedan. He noticed that it was still there around 7.40 a.m. when he left for work. We've talked about my neighbors, but like, this is the type of neighbor that you want, right? Like, you want the people who are like, I know what time they were there, and I remember the vehicle. I can tell you the details. And also, I mean, like, we're going to talk about a few more of her neighbors, but like, clearly everyone was like, I know things. I'm aware. Even if they didn't know that something was happening, they were aware of details. Because I don't know if I would be like, hmm... I don't know that car in an apartment complex, let alone like my own neighborhood. Yeah, I'm like, okay, I'll get more observant. Yeah, yeah. Especially like, I don't know that car. Like when I drive home, if there's three different new cars, I'm like, cool, someone got a new car. I don't think I should note that. You've got a guest. Yeah. So another neighbor, his name was Patrick Sweet, and he lived below Ashley. He remembers hearing noises and heavy breathing from her apartment just before 8 a.m. He got up and he looked outside and he also saw an Infiniti G35 that drove away. He thought maybe a friend had picked her up for work or something, so he went back to bed. Then the carbon monoxide alarm started to go off. He got up to investigate. Shortly after, he noticed that water started coming down to his apartment through the bathroom ceiling. So he quickly called 911 because he suspected that Ashley's apartment was on fire. Jeff Kayser, he's a neighbor and also a friend of Ashley's, and he woke up to the sound of an alarm. He got dressed quickly and he ran outside to her building. Another neighbor that was already outside told him, I believe the smoke is coming from upstairs. So him, knowing Ashley lived there, looked around and noticed that her pickup truck was parked outside. So he's like, she's probably in there. And he ran upstairs to try to help. He kicked her door open and went in. This is a great neighbor. He crawled to the kitchen because like the smoke was everywhere. He couldn't breathe. So he started crawling. But then it just became too much. So he backed out and he went back outside. But then he tried three times to get to her. And he had to each time leave the apartment because of the smoke. Before he could try for a fourth time, the fire department arrived. This breaks my heart so, so much. Oh, yeah. And it's just like everyone knew. And then everyone's like, okay, her truck's here. We got to get her. Just sweet people. Yeah. So because Alexis was the last person who saw her, authorities asked her if she knew anybody who had the type of car that witnesses had recalled seeing over and over again. She didn't, but she asked Ashley's boss, Chris, about the vehicle. And he knew who it was. He said that it was one of his former employees, Carter. So he was also able to identify the correct color, and he explained the circumstances around her firing. So detectives then moved on that information. Around 1 p.m. on Friday, April, who was Ashley's girlfriend, got a text asking if she had checked on Ashley because of the fire. And so she was worried about her dog, Nala, and thought that Ashley wasn't home during the fire. And I'm assuming it's because of like the wording of the text, right? And then she got another text from a friend saying to give her a call. And that's when she found out that Ashley had died. Ashley's mom and stepdad were out of town at the time and they had heard about the fire, but they didn't hear that she was dead until later. Yeah, that broke my heart. Yeah. I watched an interview with her family and them talking about how they found out and how horrible it was for like her whole family one by one to find out at different times. Because I want to say her sister also found out at a different time. She actually thought it was her mom at first, not her sister. Oh, 
So let's go to early Saturday morning. The story about Carter and the Infinity kept Detective Sadio up at night. So he's like, you know what? I'm not sleeping anyways. I'm going to go investigate a little. He drove to Carter's address and he saw the car backed in at the apartment. He sat there for four hours watching both the apartment and the car. Around 8 a.m., he saw someone unlock the car. So in one of the interviews, he's like, I saw the lights flicker. So that's when like I knew something was about to happen. A male got in the driver's seat and a female got in the passenger seat. He followed the car to the mall where the American Eagle was. The passenger matched the description of Carter. The woman then walked into the mall. The male stayed in the car. So Sadio was like, all right, we need to figure this out. He called his partner. His partner's name is Ernie. And he's like, we need to check up on this guy. So Ernie comes and he approaches the car and the guy identifies himself as David Mallory. He was Carter's live-in boyfriend at the time. And remember, he was also fired from American Eagle. When asked, well, why are you here? What are you doing here? Because the mall was open, but the stores were still closed. So there really wasn't any reason for someone to be there unless they worked there. He said, I dropped my girlfriend off to pick up some papers from her job, Aeropostale. While this is happening, Sadio goes into the mall. And we'll get to what he figures out in a moment. So David, still in the car, said, oh, I have a driver's license, but I don't have it on me. So then they're like, okay, well, that's reason enough. And they arrest him to bring him in for questioning. Now, Detective Sadio is inside, right? So he's trying to figure out where is she? Where is Carter? He went into Aeropostale and he saw a manager working. So remember, it's closed, but like and the employees are setting up for the day. Yeah. So then he talks to the manager working and he's like, hey, I'm looking for this woman. Her name's Carter. And the manager's like, I don't know what you're talking about. There's no Carter that works here. So then he went around the mall looking for Carter. So he's just walking around blindly. And it's pretty easy because no one really can go in the stores unless they work there. So they can't find her anywhere. It's like she disappeared. They later go back to her apartment complex and they find her in the laundry room. And she's also wearing different clothes. Bizarre. Yeah. She had walked two miles home and they brought her in for questioning as well, which is really weird. The only thing that I really couldn't find is like, how did she know David was talking to cops? Like, how did she know not to go back out to the car? Well, so here's the thing. From how I read this series of events, it very much seemed like to me, like Detective Cedillo is like wandering the mall shopping for Carter while Ernie's outside, basically like trying to figure out what will work to get this guy down to the station, right? Right. And once he hears the licensing, he's like, let's go. And so I think that there's probably a period of time where he's like parked outside, right? Because he's parked there for a reason so he could drive away with haste. Yes. So, and we'll get to that in a minute, but she probably walked outside, saw he wasn't there, and then just kept walking. Probably. Yeah, that that could make sense. But yeah, she did change and then walked home. And we'll tell you why we know that in a little bit. Yeah. So Carter agrees to talk to police without a lawyer. And she talked about working at American Eagle in Fort Worth for about four months. Other employees had also talked about how businesslike she was and that she had a good way of reading people. Sadio tried to have just like a normal conversation about Thanksgiving with her, and he wanted to just kind of like pull information out of her organically without it being like, so where were you? He gets information about the day and then he's like, oh, how did the morning go? And she's like, "Mm, I woke up around 730, 745. And then she talked with her boyfriend and then went back to sleep. Then she said she woke back up and David was gone. Detective Sadio, he was like, well, that's a lie. And I love that so much. Like, don't you love any moment of like, no, ma'am? Yeah. And there's video of it. 
Yeah. And it's so good because you're like, she's lying, she's lying. And he's like, you're lying. I love that. So she denied lying, of course. And then he said, you know how I know you're lying? Because I saw you get into the car with him and her face just falls. But then she denies it again. A fool. And she said that she was at home and she was doing laundry, which like how long did did she think that they thought that she was going to be doing laundry? Right, right. So she had a bottle of water that she had been drinking from. And so Detective Cedillo leaves the room. At this point, it's like pretty clear that they are very much liking her for this crime. So she like takes a sip of the water, but then she like spits it out of her mouth. And it's awkward. And it looks like she's trying to wipe the bottle of her fingerprints. Yeah, it's so weird. It's like this gross kind of like countermeasure that doesn't look natural. Yeah, like she spills a little bit of water kind of on herself and it looks like she's like getting a tissue to kind of wipe it off her. But then she just starts scrubbing down the bottle and she's like turning the bottle and she gets all of the outside and then she goes to the top mouthpiece and also wipes that down. And it's like, why in the world would anyone do that? It was so weird. Well, she gives a very bizarre reason later as to why she did that. Yeah. And the detectives are like, she's probably trying to just get her DNA and prints off the item thinking like, if she leaves that here, we're just going to get it. Well, I mean, also, like, if you've seen any crime drama, you know, do not eat the food. Do not drink the fluids unless you have to. You should know better. But so, interestingly, Carter and David were released, but detectives had the idea that she and David probably were the killers. And so they thought that it was revenge for being identified by Ashley, obviously, right? And they also suspected that they had the missing keys that were missing from Ashley's apartment because they wanted to rob American Eagle again. Yes. So police wanted the security footage from American Eagle looked at to see, did anyone try to come in? So the store manager, Chris, looks over the footage. And he noticed that someone walks up to the closed store and then tries to unlock the lock with keys. Police knew it was Carter trying to steal the Black Friday money. Luckily, though, Chris, when they found out that the keys were missing, he had the locks changed. Good. Smart. But I mean, it makes sense because they were already robbed once from missing keys. Yeah. So they also saw Carter on the video footage leaving the mall. So remember, her boyfriend drives her there. She goes in. Well, they see her leave the mall and she had changed clothes and was walking away in the same outfit that they ended up bringing her in with when they brought her in from the laundry room. So at some point, she goes into the mall wearing one thing, changes, and then she's like, I assume it's the back of the mall, the way that the security footage looks, but it looks like she's like in the back of the mall walking down the road. So then, of course, police obtain warrants for David and Carter's cell phones. They found pictures of Ashley's apartment from weeks before. So they were like finding the best time. They were trying to make notes on when to do this. Of every case that we have covered, I have never seen a case where the evidence so clearly points to the suspects. Right. It's very clear that Carter had this idea that she was smarter than everybody. Oh, yeah. And yeah, just even like the way that the employees talked about her, like, oh, she could read people. She could do this. She could do that. And it's like, she's not that smart. Yeah, clearly. So they also found a recording on David's phone where David and Carter are in the background of the audio and they are talking about where American Eagles employees park. Bizarre. Right. Also, they found an exchange from 1152 a.m. the day that Ashley was murdered and Carter's phone said, hey, remember that thing you said I didn't clean well? Did you clean it? Did we leave it behind? And then David's phone. We left it. I didn't touch it. 
Carter's phone. Well, damn, that's not good. Take out all the trash and leave that. Then five minutes later, David, I need to take care of that. I'm so sorry I forgot. Stupid. Stupid. They also text each other longitude and latitude coordinates. When investigators got to the remote area that they were indicating, there was a fresh grave that had been dug. Haunting. So what they suspect is the original plan was to kill her and bring her to this grave. They believe that their plan was foiled when Ashley fought back. And they also suspect that Ashley was pistol whipped. They found a gun in the car and that was tested for DNA. It came back positive with Ashley's DNA. They also at one point discussed blood splatter and that it was near the bed. And they say it was not an easy death for Ashley. Ashley's family and girlfriend heard all of this during the trial, and they had a really hard time sitting there and listening to all these details. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the hardest things that I would imagine for a victim's family is the option like you're there or you're not. And the only way to hear firsthand what they think happened is to be there. It makes me think of Kitty Genovese's family who didn't go. Yeah. And like years later, her brother's trying to piece together what happened so he can understand, you know, either way, it's painful. Yeah. So we mentioned some other evidence. So here are some of the things that they found. Sadio found a receipt of Carter's that showed she had purchased two shovels, a tarp and gloves. They also found and I laugh at this because it's like it's so ridiculous for real. Like I'm a type A person, but have some sense. They found a damaged deadbolt lock and two other locks that were labeled, quote, lock picking practice lock. If you were going to learn to pick locks, why didn't you learn to pick the American Eagle lock? You could have done all of this without murdering Ashley. They could have robbed the store again if they were better lock picks. So also in the car, there was a receipt from an order from Lock Pickers Mall for a cutaway practice lock and a lock picking instruction manual dodos. They also found keys to the dressing room of American Eagle thrown away in the garbage and a gun. So in December of 2014, they were arrested and charged with Ashley's murder and they were tried separately even though the cases were pretty much identical. Yeah. So Carter's trial. The prosecutor discussed that Carter had fantasies about killing people. So Liza, who was also an employee of American Eagle, had discussed at one point there was a time where she was folding clothes with Carter and Carter had thought about killing someone before and she wasn't sure if she could watch them die. Just a casual conversation. Very weird. And, you know, looking back, Liza's like, that was a very weird conversation. Yeah. So prosecutors believe that the murder was a thrill kill for Carter. Against the advice of her attorney, Carter decided to take the stand. She then came up with a brand new lie. She blamed David and said that he controlled her life and she was afraid of him. She also thought that he would kill her. He would tell her everything, including what to eat and what to drink. He also would use the gun in a threatening manner. And so she was threatened and scared by the gun. Oh, she was? She was threatened and scared by the gun? Yep, she sure was. Hmm. She also told the jury that she was asleep at home when he murdered Ashley. Then he gave her some gloves and told her to put them on, then handed her keys and said, go in and open the gate and bring me that fat ass deposit. And then he pointed the gun at her. That fat ass deposit. Okay. He then continued to say that if she didn't do it, he had someone sitting outside of her parents' house. Okay. When asked about the bottle, so remember the bottle she like awkwardly wiped down, she said the smell from the bottle reminded her of being raped. And she says that David and another guy that he brought to the apartment at one point had raped her. So 
on the stand, she said, as she was doing it, she was like, it's just water. It's just water. It's not them. But I could still smell it. I generally err on the side of believing women. But there was no evidence of anything she said. Exactly. And we're going to get to in a minute where they start to pull this apart. But like the idea of like that happening to someone is horrific. It is truly horrific. But it seems like she was trying to manipulate the jury. Absolutely. She was. She looks innocent and sweet. She's manipulative. She lies. She thinks she's better than everyone. She thinks she's smarter than everyone. But her on the stand, she tried to like make herself even look small. Or like like meek? Yeah. Yeah. Like that's like the tone that she took. So I watched a couple clips of her on the stand. And when she's telling the story, if I hadn't known anything about her, I would have been like, that's really horrific. But then understanding a bit more of her, I'm like, okay, I, I don't see that. But here's why. The prosecutor tore apart her story. He showed a picture of her drinking coffee with the gun next to her to prove that she wasn't actually threatened by the gun. In one of the interviews, they're like, doesn't look very threatening here. She's just casually drinking next to it. If you were fearful of an object that's used to hurt you, I don't think that you do a calming activity right next to it. You would distance yourself from it. Right. And she's talking about that he's threatening her. He's threatening her parents. He sexually assaulted her at gunpoint. Like all of these things, you would not be just having a thirst quenching moment Right. Next to this horrific tool from your life. And from the picture that I could see, I don't know if maybe they zoomed in or if that was the whole picture. But my interpretation of it was like how you would take like an Instagram picture of like your morning coffee. But again, I don't know if that was the whole picture. Yeah. So they also tried to figure out who the men were that she discussed. And what prosecutors say is she then tried to play to jurors racial bias and they didn't buy it. She basically tried to describe the men with racial descriptions. And when called out on it, she denied it. She's like, well, I didn't quite say that. And so it was just kind of up in the air. And they're like, do these people exist or not? Mm -hmm. She couldn't actually describe them. And you could tell like the way when they'd ask her a question, she'd kind of shy away and be like, well, I didn't mean it like that. Or I didn't say it like that. So it was just an awkward way. And again, I only saw clips of the actual trial. I wasn't able to find the full trial. So Carter was then found guilty in less than two hours. Later, for David's trial, he was also found guilty. They both received life in prison without the possibility of parole. And when Ashley's parents were interviewed, they wished that they had both been given the death penalty. I mean, fair. Yeah, it was really sad. So a couple things that I found just after the trial, after everything that made my heart feel a little happy after reading all of this was her parents ended up adopting her dog, Nala. Hmm. And in one interview, they said she is the center of their life and that she is a lot like Ashley. Aww. They're like, some of the things she does is what Ashley would do. Or some of the mannerisms she has is Ashley in dog form. And it was Aww. like, that's sweet because, you know, she trained her dog really well. She spent a lot of time with her dog. Yeah. They had the same mannerisms. And I thought that was really sweet. Also, her mom still hangs out with Ashley's girlfriend and basically had her become part of their family. And it said, like, the last thing that her mom and Ashley did together is they had a bingo day. They went to the bingo hall and had a good day. Aww. 
There was a, one interview where she's like, yeah, we go and we play bingo. We do this together. We do that together. And it was just really sweet that like they both lost a common loved one and now they, they don't really have to hang out anymore. Yeah. But she's part of the family. They're all a big family and all of her friends and family that loved Ashley seem like they all are still together. I feel like the story of what happened to her as well as just like the clear preparation make this truly horrific because it's very transparent what they plan to do. Uh-huh. And definitely a very sad case. Well, and like you said, she didn't have to die for it. No. Right? Like, if they were learning how to pick locks, they could have easily done that. And also, why? They already robbed for $18,000. Why would you rob the same place again? I think that they were planning to rob the American Eagle, but I don't think that's why they killed Ashley. I think they killed Ashley out of vengeance. Yeah. And then they were like, hmm, those are her keys. Let's also do XYZ. Now, I have seen some articles where they talk about the timing of it may have been motivated by Black Friday. Like they wanted to rob the store after Black Friday because there'd be so much money. Yeah. So I think it was like number one, vengeance. Number two, quote unquote, that fat ass deposit. No, I've seen that too, where they're like, they knew that there'd be more money after Thanksgiving than most other days so that they targeted that. Because remember, she worked Thanksgiving night. She came home early hours of Black Friday and then was murdered. And then they took the key. And so I've seen a few different articles, but at one point, I think they had gone to the mall twice to try to put the key in the lock. So I want to say they probably went that evening and then tried again that morning. So weird. So sad. Black Friday brings a lot of terrible tendencies out in people. So yeah, if you're out this weekend, the whole weekend, the whole month, all the time, forever, be good humans. Be nice to retail workers. Money's never worth any of that. Yeah, it's not. Nor is any material object. Oh, any sale for that matter. Yeah. No sale is worth hurting someone else or being hurt. Yeah. Stampeding or whatever else happens when they open those doors. So be safe. Hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving and ate a ton of food. And if you're not in America, go ahead and eat some turkey. Have some cranberry sauce. It is okay. You too can join in on the fun. The fun of eating until you pass out. Yeah. So my eldest brother is going to be in town for Thanksgiving and he cooks prime rib. So we're going to have different meats. We're going to spice it up. We go a little crazy. We're going to go a little crazy. Well, that sounds great. I also bought a little mini pie maker from Target. So I'm excited to make tiny little pies. I also found out that my niece loves cake pops. Oh, good. So you better make that little girl 300 cake pops. However many cake pops she wants is what she gets. Thank you. And I need pictures because she's the cutest little girl in the world. She truly is. (laughs) All right. Well, I hope everyone had a great holiday and has a fun filled weekend and is very safe. And with that, we'll see you next week. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. For more information on our sources, please visit our website, truecreeps.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at truecreepspod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash truecreepspod, and on Twitter at truecreeps. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps. 